Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. TVP's announcements. This is a series that we have on our network where we give you announcements about upcoming projects and platforms that are entering the crypto ecosystem. Now, this is a disclaimer because we do that now. So, here's the thing this is the presentation of a platform, and that's it. This is an investment advice. Don't take it as investment advice. If you like the platform, seek it out in the show notes. Go there, buy the things, invest in the platform. Help them out with your skill sets. But we're not giving you any recommendations or advice. This is just for you to listen to and soak up some new information about a new platform in this ecosystem. So, please enjoy. Hey everybody, it's D. And if you heard that awesome music by The Absurdist, you know that you are about to listen to one of TPP's announcements. And today, uh, we are joined uh, by James and Robbie Ferguson. Uh, excellent, excellent surname. And they come to us as the co-founders of Fuel Games. Um, so, quite typically with all these announcements, we like to kind of gather, you know, Robbie and James, what, um, what exactly are, is your origin story in crypto? Um, a lot of people have, you know, professional backgrounds that they were coming from and they got a newsletter and that changed everything. Or they were watching TV and something on the news said this is crazy Bitcoin thing and that that changed everything. Mm. Um, so for you all, um, what is that origin story? Like, what were you doing before crypto? How did you stumble upon crypto? Hey, thanks for having us on. So. Our origin started quite a while in crypto. I suppose in 2013, when there was that first wave of Bitcoin hype was when we first learned about it. And we thought that this idea of having a decentralized currency was you know, revolutionary, as I'm sure most of the listeners would agree with. And then I think it sort of stepped up a notch again when I first heard of Ethereum in late 2014, and the idea of being able to sort of execute smart contracts in a trustless manner for us was a giant game changer as well. And we became very interested in both Bitcoin and Ethereum from that point on. Um, Robbie and I are both developers ourselves. Yeah. So we're both technical. And last year we sort of transitioned from just being professional developers uh, working on other projects to combining that with our deep interest in crypto. And that's when we started building sort of our first crypto game, which utilized non-fungible tokens. 
So James, formerly before this, was the lead developer at a billion-dollar e-commerce store um, on, you know, managing front-end. And since then, I suppose what we think is really interesting about the space is that so far, the possibility of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these blockchains in transforming financial instruments has been quite apparent. And we've seen a bit of financial adoption in the space, but we haven't really seen any sort of killer application that has existed in order to bring people onto these awesome platforms, which exists outside of the financial space. Mm. And the, the important thing to note is applications on the blockchain have to be inherently financial, at least for now, because of the cost associated with it. It simply doesn't make sense to run a lot of consumer facing applications, which are like inherently have microtransactions on every single state update you want to do. And so you have to choose something where there is a capacity for some sort of market or monetization. And I think that gaming and the new ecosystem of gaming in particular fits into that paradigm really well. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because my other co-hosts on the on the flagship show and I, uh, we, we have difference of opinions on uh, whether or not cryptocurrency or, or blockchain or whatever name you want to call it by is inherently financial. And I'm the kind of person that loves when opinions agree with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Well, for... well, certainly on the existing, I mean, if you make a, a side chain, you're using your own sort of proprietary stuff that isn't costing a lot of money because of the giant network running it or the giant fees associated with it, you're going to be able to, you know, maybe make something that's consumer facing and, and free, but at least on the, on the Ethereum blockchain and some of the others that exist, which are VM compatible, it's going to have to be financial to be widely used and regularly used at least for now. Absolutely. I mean, even if you, if you take it a couple steps further, even transactions as they exist on the internet aren't free. You know, I mean, like AT and T, they sure. give you free text messages or whatever. But at one point in time, they used to cost them money until they, you know, reconfigured their network, and now it's pretty much free for them to send yeah. and receive text messages. And, uh, whatever, one ninety characters. Yeah. Yeah, but at a certain so in, at a certain point in time, it wasn't free. So sometimes transactions, period, are are financial inherently. But that's a whole mm -hmm. other philosophical debate. What I'd like to talk about uh, is fuel games. And basically, you outlined um, that there's a use case in blockchain technology um, for gaming ecosystems. And how has fuel games tackled that use case? Absolutely. So I think if we have a look at the way gaming is trending now, we can see that popular games like Fortnite are selling sort of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of in-game items and assets every single month. And these items form massive in-game economies, at least with sort of banks, which is the main thing that crypto has been trying to disrupt so far. At least these banks have some form of regulation. These game studios, however, don't have any all over their in-game economies. So if you spend, you know, 50 or $100 purchasing a really awesome item in-game that's supposedly rare, you have no idea whether or not the game studio will actually change the rarity or the power of that item which you spent either money or 
the very minimum, you know, hundreds or even thousands of hours in earning. I think that when you add blockchain to the mix and you can have the power of decentralized trustlessness about these sort of in-game assets, it adds so much value to gamers where they can know and trust that A, sort of the rarity which is claimed and the scarcity which is claimed is actually real because they can just inspect the blockchain. B, that the rules about which govern sort of supply of these in-game assets and their creation are also transparent. So if something is uh, only to be claimed at certain times, the company can't just create them for, you know, a Christmas event and drop a thousand of these uh, rare items, which you previously saved up in order to get. And then finally, which we think is a really interesting part is all these games, even outside of cryptocurrencies, have a trading element, which is either part of the game and done through a centralized marketplace, or the company is desperately trying to cut out. But people want to trade these assets, which they've unlocked and earned themselves, mm. whether through sort of justified means, which are certified by the game studio, or whether through like shadier means. I think that crypto and decentralized smart contracts allow people to have true ownership of these items, which means that they can sell them on whatever marketplace they want. They can build tools in order to do whatever they want with these items. And they don't need to worry about any of the game studios and game creators are sort of locking that down or trying to disrupt that because we're not just licensing the in-game items like existing games companies do. We're giving away true ownership. Mm. Hmm. So I have a question. Do you see it as an inhibitor or maybe a catalyst that say I'm playing game A and I find a super rare platinum dragon axe of doom. Nobody has it. Mm. Um, because I love to slay dragons. I worked really hard slaying all those dragons and I, I crafted the axe. And then I go to other game market and I say, I want to sell you my Platinum Dragon Axe of Doom. And they say, yeah, dragons aren't that big of a deal in this universe. I'm not going to give you that much for that Dragon Axe. So I guess the ultimate question I'm asking is, how do you, have you is, is fungibility a problem? Or is that kind of like a catalyst? Because you know you can find an item in one game that may or may not be valuable in another. But on this marketplace, at least it does have an agreed upon value. I think that what you brought up brings up some really interesting issues in that these items can be used in multiple games. So obviously the value of the item, if you get it in a popular game, is at least what it's worth in that popular game. Mm. But because of the way that these games which were built are, are made on this open and transparent platform, people can build existing like additional games on top of these items. So I know that with CryptoKitties, which was sort of one of the, um, I'm not sure if you could call it a game, but a crypto collectible, which came out at around Christmas, people built additional crypto collectibles on top of that. So you could, you know, give your cat a hat. And I think that this sort of building upon and building out network effects is something that can only add value because the item is worth at least sort of its best game and all the others are just added on top of it. 
Yeah, and the cool thing there is you can have big AAA quality games by big studios in which the assets are entirely interoperable. So the experience you earn on one item can translate into that item being used in another universe or have crossovers. Uh, and in an open source way, people can build whatever content they like. It makes it really easy for platforms like First Blood to enable betting. Uh, and it makes it really easy for people to build content, third-party content on top of this software. Have you got any interest from, from uh, people wanting to do so, from third-party interests? Yeah, for sure. So, so I guess now would be a good time sort of to launch into the specifics of what we've built and what we're building and sort of the interest. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Let's get into some yeah. the, the specificity of it all. Let's, let's dig yeah. down into it. So Rob, do you want to talk about um, Etherbots and Gods Unchained? Sure. So uh, we built Etherbots in uh, January of this year, um, which is a robot fighting war game on the blockchain. So you can build customized robots, which are made out of four parts. And each of these parts is an ERC721 non-fungible token, which you have full ownership over. You can earn experience on these parts. You can redeem that experience towards perks. And then you can have multiplayer battles with people with these robots. And the coolest thing is that you can actually win new robot parts after every battle. Uh, and some of these parts have gone for pretty absurd prices. So one of the parts that someone just won in a game, they sold for $18,000. Uh, so there's, there's quite a bit of value attached to this stuff when it has a provable element of scarcity attached to it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, our newest title, um, we're, we're sort of launching a couple of new titles. There's a... A uh, new version of Etherbots, which maybe James will touch on, uh, and there's also sort of the the flagship title Gods Unchained, which we're going to make uh, the first esport on the blockchain. Esports on the blockchain. I like the sound of that. I've been actually kind of falling into esports lately. I don't know yeah. why, but it just well, it's a lot of fun. Um, are you guys fans of esports? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, last year, I was going to say. Um, Three times as many people watch the League of Legends World Final as watch the Super Bowl. So a lot that, of people are fans of esports. That is intense. It's what's what's very funny is like I always tell my pops, I was a little bit older than the, the generation now that just can unapologetically love gaming. But when I was younger, mm. my, my parents were always like, Why are you wasting all your time playing those games? And I was like, It's yeah. not a waste of time. I'm crafting my brain to make fast paced decisions. <laughs> you need to respect exactly. it. No, I'm kidding. I didn't talk like that to my parents. I would have got my ass whooped. So, <laughs> so what's unique is that, so if I'm a player, I can, mm -hmm. what, what is the, let's talk to the consumer right now. Mm -hmm. As a consumer, what was the perk for them to know that they absolutely own this digitally unique item that they found in a game? Because I don't think that is going to translate as well to some people that don't game as much as, as you or I or, or, or most of our audience. Yeah. But for people and that, I mean, that don't understand. At the end of the day, that. it's pretty massive. If you're a casual gamer, you're paying, you know, Farmville, it's not going to matter to you. But if you're even a relatively involved gamer, which the vast majority of gamers are now these days, uh, it, it means huge amounts. So 
from the very first level. If you're someone who doesn't monetize your gameplay at all, you don't stream, uh, you're not playing competitively, you just like being able to, you know, uh, play the game at a serious level and you play it quite regularly, you suddenly have all these guarantees about the value of your in-game items. So you know that the game company can't randomly change how powerful an item is uh, because they think that it's, you know, unbalanced or they can't suddenly inflate the market with more versions of that item. Uh, and most importantly, they can't suddenly restrict trade in a way in which they didn't before, which I think in some cases is... Uh, really economically deleterious because there are entire ecosystems built around the ability to trade these items and people's livelihoods are built around trading these items. For instance, the recent trade lock by Valve on CSGO items, uh, uh, you know, decimated some people's ability to, to trade these items freely in, in a free market. And the importance there being the volume of these markets is huge. I think the volume of digital assets per year is $50 billion. Uh, through marketplaces. So if you don't actually have any guarantees over what you're able to do with that item, if you're merely offered a license agreement to retain usage and, and maybe trade within some sort of proprietary marketplace for some sort of in-game uh, coin rather than some actual fiat, then you're not going to be able to uh, enjoy any guarantee of, of security as, as that's the way you monetize. Um, so yeah, the, the, the third reason is that it actually enables you to make money from the time and effort you put into games. We think that a lot of gamers are unrewarded for the effort of dodgy third-party solutions exist for this. For instance, account selling, account trading, those are obviously very vulnerable to exploitation. And we think we do a much better job of that by actually creating these economies in-game completely freely. If you're going to offer a player economy, you may as well offer it with some guarantees about what they're entitled to then and always in the future. I like that idea of, of getting paid for the time spent. Um, most recently, because I read, um, what is it, that markets are most uh, fortuitous to those, or the most fortunate in a market are those that found out before anyone else. And I'm like, well, that's, that's very true. I mean, that's just yeah. life. That's yeah, life. Sure. And like the I final thing, to be... I... go ahead. I was just going to say the final, like the final thing that's cool for consumers, but I can go on after you. Oh, I was just saying because I happen to be one of those weird people that like finds mm -hmm. rando games before the rest of my friends. For instance, like Clash of Clans, it blew up worldwide, and I was playing it like three months before anyone even knew it was a thing. Right. And by the time all my friends got on it, they were like, "Oh, I want to get the dragon. I want to get all this." And I was yeah, like, "Man, yeah, I'm." Yeah pretty much over that game yeah and well, if i had I been able that... to like sell them my dragons i would have loved it i'm like here why don't you take my dragons exactly you, you've got it, right? <laughs> exactly so, and i think so. that that sort of brings up another really interesting mm, point mm. which is that all these sort of free-to-play games are no longer just money sinks it means that once you've finished and you have all these items and if you no longer want to play it then you can sell those items. Or if you get in early, like you did with Clashing Clients, you can make and you farm up, and then the game becomes more popular, you can make money when you sell those items on, mm. which I think is really interesting in having these free market. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's very interesting. Um, it's going to take one unique individual to take advantage of it too. Because typically I think games try to keep that 
in-house, right? Like you take your items and you sell them to the, the store and then you can hopefully make enough gold or rupees or whatever they're dealing with to buy mm. some or, you know, make a percentage that, you know, maybe you don't have to farm so hard the next time you already got some of the money saved up from selling your old crap. And I think exactly. it'll, it'll add a unique aspect to the gamer standpoint. It's like, if I can get more selling to other people, then I'm definitely not going to sell it back to the game. So and it's interesting because it's been sort of selfishness and greed on behalf of the game studios so far by not allowing this sort of external marketplace where we're of the other opinion. We think that if you make something truly trustless and decentralized the assets in the game, and then people can build networks on top of it, then it's a win-win for us as the game's creators of Etherbots and Gods Unchained and all the other titles that we're building. But more importantly, the value add for our players is such a big win for them. Mm. So can we go into some of the particulars about Etherbots and Gods Unchained? Um, yeah. Most, I guess more specifically first, the, I know you're having like a pre-sale on the robots, right? So can we talk about that a little bit? And then maybe talk about like, you know, the games themselves and what they're about and why people would want to play them. Yeah, so essentially with Etherbots, which is the game we launched at the beginning of this year, we held the most successful pre-sale for any video game at all on the blockchain where we sold lots of these robot parts and then never sold them again. And after that, you could, at this point in time, there are people playing and you can only buy Etherbots parts against each up, off other people from the in-game marketplace. Mm. Or you can try and win them by battling other people. Um, and our new game is we are building Gods Unchained, which is a strategy battling card game on the blockchain where every single card is a unique cryptographic token. And so you can trade and use that freely and it can never be taken away from you. So the individual card whether an example might be, you know, in Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that, um, your blue eyes, white dragon equivalent in Gods Unchained um, is yours and you can use it in order to battle, but you can also trade it and sell it to other people. Mm. You're going to cause some playground fights. Are you ready for that? There's going to be some straight up yeah. fisticuffs. For sure. For sure. It's actually... <laughs> you it's said I am ready and I hope it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I remember those fights in Junior's Duel. You know, yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh cards was the thing for me, actually, a little bit after Pokemon cards. Yeah, I remember people really wanted a that Charizard in Pokemon, and there were fights over that. It uh, it gets serious on the playgrounds. I um, actually was a high school teacher for, for quite a while, oh, cool. and I had a student come into my classroom one day just bawling in tears. And I was like, oh, no, man. I guess this girl broke up with him. It's a wrap. Mm. It's going to get better, man. Trust me. Just take the time. <laughs> and I talked to this kid, and I'm like, what's up, man? And he goes, someone stole my Pokemon cards. And I was like, what? That's yeah. Does that involve tears? I mean, you're 16 years old, man. But like, <laughs> I, was, I was just, I, I, up, uh, I bought him yeah. a new set. Just, that was cool. For yeah. him, I guess. I didn't have anything yeah. to do with it, but I'm just saying it's going to get real if actual money is involved, if someone 
takes your Charizard equivalent. <laughs> in well, yeah. it's a lot harder to steal if it's on the blockchain, which is nice. That's true. Um, I guess to up it even more, we are also throwing a tournament, so the World Championship next year, yeah. with the prize pool of $100,000 plus 10% of all the Kai packs we're selling. So there could be even more sort of impetus for people to play and get a little bit frenzied about Gods Unchained. So you guys mentioned something earlier, and I happen to have been in this industry long enough to know that the uh, uh, the the mythological unicorn known as uh, the killer app is still yet to be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, why why do you all feel that it's going to be gaming, and and what what differentiates you, I guess, from uh, you've we've already talked about crypto kitties, but there's also like crypto pets. Yeah. There's going to be Basically, any it's probably going to be like crypto angry birds. Who knows? But, sure. But uh, why is gaming that killer app, and and how are you how are you building it the best? Yeah. So first, the notion of a killer app is an interesting one. I think blockchain's killer app is probably just the ability to send decentralized payments. But if we're talking about within the platform and applications on VM enabled blockchains. I think that gaming is a really, really strong value proposition. I'm not going to go and call it the killer app because everyone who does that is, you know, it's hard to prove that. But I think it's really something that perfectly encapsulates what the blockchain does best and offers it in a really simple client-facing way. And I think that one of the main things in blockchain is literally just shipping stuff that works and makes a lot of sense to be on the blockchain. And this is right at the top of that list in our minds. Uh, We also think the really cool sort of intersection of the Venn diagrams of gamers and uh, crypto users is that that there is a really strong intersection there, that gamers are the early adopters, which is awesome for us because it's pretty hard to onboard people onto this technology otherwise. Uh, And it's it's why, you know, we've had a lot of interest from other chains uh, speaking to our platform because people want to have an application which is onboarding people onto the blockchain and gaming is honestly the easiest way to do that because you can abstract away so much of the logistics of the blockchain uh, and just have the benefits of decentralization in this awesome user experience uh, where they're they're playing and and they're used to digital items they're used to things having value which are non-tangible which is really cool on to your second question which is i guess our differentiability. The differentiability of this game is we're just going for quality. We're making, you know, the highest quality game we possibly can uh, with this trading card game. We're building up a huge competitive esports scene because we know that that's what people want out of games. Uh, and I think that's where we can offer a point of differentiation. But on the other side, so so yeah, so to on the details of that, like it's a it's a full Unity 3D game uh, with with multiplayer. Um, and, you know, we've got some, some awesome partnerships and, and developers working on it. We think it's going to be a really, really cool experience. But um, on the other hand, I think that the space is small enough such that everyone in the space is, is going to help grow it. I don't think it is at all a zero-sum game yet uh, and won't be for quite a while. It's a really nascent industry and, and we're really happy to be a part of it. Um. I love for I love you guys for taking the uh, the modest answer of we're not gonna be that jabroni that tries to guess what the killer app is. Um, 
I set you up. You passed the test. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, because it's such a lagging indicator. Like, nobody exactly. knows what a killer app is until it's a killer app. Nobody knew Pokemon Go was going to be 50 million in a week or however many random people wanted to fake catch Pokemon until the, until it happened. Yeah. Know? So, uh, I I applaud you for your modesty. So Thank you. Yeah. I, I guess um, some other... Go ahead. I guess having a look at some of the other things, though, are that while we don't know whether this is going to be the killer app, what we do know is that we are pushing for quality. So essentially, with some of the games you mentioned earlier, the difference between, you know, I don't need, like playing CryptoKitties and playing a game on your Xbox or on your, you know, from the Steam store or something, is that the quality is completely different. Um, and that one is completely 3D and beautiful and, you know, all this time. It's it's also the experience. I wouldn't yeah. say, like, it's what the games are trying to be. I think CryptoKitties is, as it stands, maybe there's some future plans. It's a crypto collectible experience with, you know, this light element, light element of breeding. We're developing game first and then creating this inherent blockchain layer. So mm-hmm. I think that they're pretty fundamentally different things. Interesting. I, I got to ask the question, is this, are you, um, all, are you going to end up building your own blockchain or are you going to leverage existing blockchains? So we, so far, built Etherbots and Gods Unchained on top of Ethereum just because that's where the people are who are using sort of blockchains which have a virtual machine on them so far. But there are a lot of very interesting chains coming out as well. And while we re- we love Bitcoin and we love Ethereum, we're not, you know, maximalists at all. And actually, in order to get um, Ethereum to scale sort of for the games we wanted, we've had to build out our own platform, which has state channel scaling technology as well within it. Um, but we are sort of looking to the future as well. And we've had a lot of interest from a lot of the sort of new, uh, like new Ethereum blockchains, which are coming out sort of either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year. And a lot of them have raised a lot of money in order to build really awesome platforms. So we're quite interested to see what happens with that. So, um, yeah, the developers behind things like Definity and Quantum and Thunder, we've been in talks with them as well about potentially going cross-chain. And on top of that, with the platform which we're building as we build out these games, building tools in order to link these chains as well. So that if you have, you know, an Etherbot on Ethereum and you want to be able to move it onto Definity because maybe Definity when it launches has incredible scaling or something, then we want to be able to let you transfer them freely between the two. Interesting. I got to ask this question. Um, This is for you guys as developers. Do you find that it is that we're at such a point in this industry that it can be difficult as a developer to know where to uh, invest your time? And what I mean by that is I'm going to try to take it to an area I know. Like if I were, I don't know, if I were like a mechanic or something, and every month BMW was changing what could be the type of bolts or whatever that they use on their header for their engines, and Mm. I had to learn or get a whole new certification to be able to 
be a mechanic for that engine type? Uh, is it difficult as a developer to like have to know that, hey, at any moment's notice, people could just not like Ethereum anymore and we've got to start programming on Divinity? Or is it is it a... Yeah, I mean, so I think there are a couple of uh, helpful or, or sort of alleviating characteristics of uh, the space um, in, in that regard, which is that first, the skin, skills are often transferable. So the difficult thing about blockchain programming is not learning the syntax of the particular language. It's learning the security mindset and architecture mindset that is required in order to build safe, immutable contracts or, or you know, uh, programs which will live on the blockchain. Since once you launch that code and that code often handles vast amounts of uh, financial information, you can't change it unless, you know, you create sort of extensible uh, weird upgrade systems within the contract itself. But fundamentally, if there's a bug in that contract uh, you're not going to be able to do much about it. And we've seen the, the results of that with stuff like the DAO. So the, I think the, the hardest learning curve as a, I'm going to call it blockchain developer, that there's a lot to fall within that. Uh, so we, you know, developed our contracts in Solidity for Ethereum. The hardest thing is learning how to spec out like your code and, and, and write it in such a way that you know it's going to be safe when it's uploaded. Uh, and the second and, and also equally as important concern is how to make that code really efficient because the more efficient your code is, the less it costs your users to run and the more people are going to use it. Uh, and combining those three things like efficiency uh, and security is, is quite difficult when it's an immutable context. I mean, in any other scenario, you'd be able to ship code and then patch the next day and then patch it the next week and continue patching as any bugs come up and, and before they're exploited to a great magnitude. But that's simply not the option here. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, going into sort of specifics about chains, I would say that I think that the wise choice, which most blockchain developers seem to be doing at the moment is um, focusing on Ethereum right now because that's where users are and being open and trying to watch developments in the space and see what other exciting things come up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of chains are trying to be VM compatible, which is nice. Yeah, that's true as well. Good deal. Thank you for answering that as, as best as you can. I know it's, it's, a, it's a constantly changing uh, ecosystem slash um, industry, I guess. We're, we're budding to become our own little industry, so... Mm. Um, it's, I guess that's a little bit of sage wisdom for the developers in the audience. And, and while we are talking about those very same developers, how do they uh, join the club? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, everybody loves developers. All these projects in the in in the crypto community. If if someone's listening mm -hmm. to this podcast and they want to help out, um, where do they go? Do you have a Telegram? Do you have a Slack? Do you have somewhere that they can go to communicate with you and your other dev devs and and maybe help out, maybe find bugs or or contribute. Yeah, absolutely. To... Uh, we do have a, a Telegram. Um, um, yeah, we have a couple of things. So the easiest thing to be to do would be to go to godsunchained.com. And if you go down the bottom of that, we have sort of all our uh, social channels on that. And then on that, we sort of have uh, 
stuff which is relevant for anyone, whether they're developers and they want to, um, you know, help build out tools on top of the stuff we're building as well. We always find that super interesting. Or if they're looking for advice as well, we're very happy to give it um, in terms of blockchain development as well. So we've got on there, we've got a popular Discord and Telegram as well. Good deal. So you guys heard it right there from the source. Um, if you do want to get involved with Fuel Games, um, you think you have some cool mechanics to add to Etherbots or Gods Unchained, um, go to those places. And, and, and the coolest talk. thing, you don't even need to ask us, right? You can build third-party software on our assets yourselves and launch them. And we can't do anything about it, even if we wanted to. Yeah, because they are truly decentralized. If people want to take our beautiful cards or our etherbots and build their own game around it or integrate it with something else, then that code is all open. Everything can be seen and everything can be sort of interacted with as well by other developers, which is pretty awesome. Cool. So if I have the skills, I can make the ultimate weapon in the universe of etherbots, which would be a water balloon, and then <laughs> the ultimate weapon in the world of gods and chained, which would be like, I don't know, indifference. I feel like that would be... No, I'm kidding. I like that. <laughs> I think those would be yeah. the two ultimate weapons that sell like hotcakes on the market. Um, anyways, um, so I guess the last question I'd like to ask, um, is there anything that I should have asked you uh, or you'd hope that I ask you that I didn't? It's always a hard question to answer. Um, it is. I love this question. I didn't like it at first. It felt lazy, mm. but now it's getting good. I suppose it's someone you have to be prepared for. I think that our wondering here about what you missed means that you've done a pretty good job. Yeah, I did have one more thing that I think is really cool that I forgot to say. So I'm just going to say it. Go for it. Which is, I think, one of the coolest things that this enables, completely unique to conventional gaming, is that you can remember the uniqueness and heritage of each asset. And the reason why that's important is in the same way that the same gloves Muhammad Ali wore when he knocked out George Foreman were rare and unique. You can remember the heritage of every asset in a game. You can, if you're a Twitch streamer, sell off the card that you just won a match with and sign that card and it's proved that it was once in your ownership. Uh, or you can sell off the skin that was, you know, worn by Faker during when SKT won the League of Legends championship. Like you can remember the the unique backstory of these items uh, and and track those fully decentralized through the blockchain. Um, and, and the ability to remember those things is really important, especially in social gaming. Uh, and we think it would be a really awesome way for Twitch streamers to interact more intimately with their viewers as well. Yeah, definitely. That's a really exciting aspect for us. Mm. That uh, that does sound like something interesting. As someone who's debated many times um, whether I spark up a Twitch and play all those games I was good at when I was in my teens, um, that does seem like an option. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It seems like everyone is doing two things nowadays. They're they're having a podcast about something they love or a Twitch channel about yeah. a game that they played a lot as a kid. I don't know, but well, media is changing, right? And yeah. So are the ways which we monetize and enjoy that media as well and distribute our content absolutely um so um well james robbie ferguson 
Um, this has been a great Ferguson um, powwow. Yeah. Myself being a Ferguson, it was a it was a certain kindred kindred vibe. I found. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, thank you for holding it down for all Fergusons. Yeah, and, and thank you for understanding our accents. Yeah. Oh, not a problem. Is it? Wait, let me guess. I'm terrible with accents, but it sounds like New Zealand. Close, just across the water in Australia. Damn, I was so close. I was close. I didn't say something stupid like... Uh, oh, you just offended all Australians. <laughs> all 6,000 of us. <laughs> Damn. We have a lot of Australian listeners. Sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to offend you um, at all. And I also, in one of our previous episodes, didn't know Foster's wasn't that big of a deal in Australia. Oh, no. No, so, we were talking about this to Americans the other day. Yeah. <laughs> we just, it's export only. We just don't drink it. It doesn't... Oh, my doesn't goodness. Be- that's like the shit over here. So I don't yeah. understand. It's the greatest marketing success story. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. That gives me hope. I could make like a shitty burger and then go over to Australia and America say, like, loves this, it. Is, <laughs> this is all the rage in America. This is the only yeah. kind of burger we eat. And then, no, I'm kidding. Um, well, thank you guys for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Thanks so much. I really enjoyed this. And good luck with everything. Cheers. <laughs>